This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman and Superman-related comics. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 15. friends and welcome back to the show. I hope everyone is staying safe. I hope everyone is staying healthy and I hope everyone is keeping hope in your hearts. This episode we are going to be talking about new Superman number two. That's the Superman of China from August 10th of 2016 and we're going to be talking about Superman number five from August 17th of 2016. But before we get to those, as always, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, back in episode three of this show, in what would become the first uh, Fortress of Solitude segment, I talked about um, people who have more or less superhero-themed Twitter accounts to u- that use those accounts to espouse ideas that are racist, misogynistic, and homophobic. And... Um, they usually kind of keep those comments confined to the politics of comic books. It's usually about um, either the gaining prominence of uh, people, of you know, characters of color or female characters or LBGTQ characters that are gaining prominence in the comic books or uh, creators of color or female characters or LBGTQ creators who are gaining prominence uh, in the creative aspect of, of comic books and how much that stinks and how much that really bugs me. But, and I'm, you could very easily say I'm naive for not having thought of, you know, considered this before um, or not realizing this was a thing, but I found something that bugs me a whole lot more. And I should rewind a bit and say that those accounts that I was talking about earlier, they usually keep their comments confined to like a dog whistle. You know, they'll say, oh, well, you know, this is wokeness or, you know, this is, you know, something um, kind of along the lines of, of the affirmative action, you know, bad, you know, give, you know, don't, you know, give people who aren't straight and white males, you know, a chance just because they're of a different, you know, whatever, you know, it, it it's, it's not overtly racist, but it's very obviously racist. Now, going back to where I was before, and the thing I found that irks me to no end is people who have a Superman-themed account that are overtly racist and are overtly misogynistic and are overtly homophobic. They will come straight out and say that they feel that people of color don't deserve as many rights as white people, and that women don't deserve as many rights as men, and that LBGTQ people don't deserve as many rights as straight cisgendered people. And not only that, 
they're also openly anti-science and they're openly conspiratorial. And that, that deeply offends me because if you've been listening to the show for a while, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I follow personal philosophy that I base somewhat on Superman. And I know that the qualities that Superman displays in the comics are based on established uh, philosophical schools of thought. The one that comes to mind the most to me is classical stoicism, which espouses the virtues of courage, justice, wisdom, and self-restraint. And yeah, I could just easily say, well, I, I follow this particular school of philosophy, but comic books are the media I relate to the most. I like reading about philosophy, but I can find the books kind of dry or kind of mm, almost new agey, kind of fluffy in there in the way they explain things. But I can read the Superman comic and say, look, he's brave and he fights for justice and he's wise and he shows self-control and it would be easy to lash out. And that's why I love Superman. But, um, and I need to slow down before I get talking faster than I can think. And this turns into an incoherent rant. So, um, the things that these people espouse that have these Superman skinned, uh, tw accounts. And again, they're on Twitter. I don't, I'm not on, well, I'm on Facebook, but I don't do anything with it. So when I talk about accounts, I'm talking about Twitter. You know, I will, I will scroll through their timelines because as much as these people bug me, I like to understand why they think the way they think. I could never be able to relate to them, but I like, I want to understand intellectually, or at least how they justify the way they think. And I'll scroll through and people will come at them with, you know, do you even read Superman? And as while I find that mm, it's nice that people do that, it, those comments don't, won't bother these individuals because no, they probably don't. And they're not ashamed of that fact. They're going by what Superman means to them. And I noticed almost 90% of them, they really latch on to the, in the American way, part of Superman's classic tagline. And you have to consider what that means to them. Now, truth, justice in the American way as a tagline was started during World War II. It was only around for about two years. Um, and at the time it was intended to be, uh, you know, pushing back against tyranny, you know, against Nazis, <laughs> against the Axis powers, even though, you know, there was obvious inequality during America at that time, there still is obvious equality in America, but I would venture to say from, because and again, I, I can't speak from the perspective of, of people of color and of, and of women and of LGBTQ persons, but on the surface, it at least appears to be somewhat better than it was back then. But the, the phrase was dropped after World War II, but it was picked back up again um, in the 1950s when the George Reeves Superman show started. And um, at that time, keep in mind, you know, the 1950s was deep in the Red Scare. And if you didn't want to come under the microscope of the, of the 
you know, the House Committee for Un-American Activities, you proudly and, you know, uh, loudly proclaimed yourself, you know, a follower of, you know, America and capitalism and, and all that good stuff. And so, um, and so the, the 1950s were a time where white, straight, cisgendered Christian men were in charge of everything. And that is the America that these type of individuals want to make great again. And so, no, they, that is what Superman means to them, but it's not what Superman means. Superman was started by two Jewish men who wanted a, a, a figure that pushed back against corruption, against corrupt politicians, against mobsters, against bullies, against domestic abusers. Um, and you can, I, I will fully admit, and I've pointed this out several times and people pointed it out right back at me that I'm not overly familiar with the Silver Age, but I know that there was some sexism involved in Superman's portrayal during the Silver Age. And I would not be surprised if there were some racist caricatures in Superman's stories during that time. Again, I don't know for sure, but I know it wasn't uncommon, uncommon in comics at the time. But I would venture that at least since 1988, because there was a little sexism going on when Superman was rebooted for the first couple of years, um, not overt, but it, it was there, uh, undertones. But at least since 1988, so for the past 34 years, Superman has stood for equality. And, and even though maybe things during the golden and silver age weren't in American culture, weren't overtly progressive, you know, there's that, there's that classic um, meme that everyone puts around, that, that clip from the end of a Superman comic from from I want to say was the four, the late 40s or the early 50s where a bunch of kids are standing around Superman and Superman saying America is supposed to stand for everyone being equal no matter your race, creed, color, religion, gender, no matter what. Whether that was actually the case or not is debatable. I would say it probably wasn't. But that is what America should stand for even if it doesn't. And, you know, there's that, that um, other uh, panel that I've circulated often where Superman grabs a machine gun and smashes it and says, I wish I could do this to all weapons. So Superman has always stood for equality and Superman has always stood for peace. And these people on the surface, know, deep down, they know this. They know that Superman does not stand for what they believe, but they're trying to co-op that. And if they can convince other people who are only casually familiar with Superman, because everyone is at least casually familiar with Superman. Superman. The Superman symbol is the second most recognizable symbol in the world next to the Christian cross. And maybe you could say the Batman symbol now too. <laughs> but everybody, at least on the surface, knows Superman. But if they can convince enough people who aren't, overtly, who aren't intimately familiar with Superman that yes, that is what Superman stands for, then those other people who don't know a lot about Superman might come to believe it too. And then that erodes faith in a symbol 
of equality and of peace and of generosity and of just all the things that we embrace and all the progress that we would like to see in the world. And you know, if, if those type of people, if they, if they want to embrace racism and sexism and homophobia, and if they want to deny science, you know, thereby putting other people potentially at risk, and if they want to spread conspiracy theories that weakens dem our democracy, there's a Superman for them. There's an evil Superman from another universe. There's a Nazi Superman. And those are both interesting characters, but they can have them because that is not who Superman stands for. And I know that you know that that's not who Superman, what Superman stands for. And that's part of what I love you guys. But as far as I'm concerned, those people can keep my Superman out of their full mouths. And with that being said, let's go talk about some comic books. Okay, we're going to switch things up a little bit this episode and start with a book that is not specific to Clark and his family because we do go in order of publication. And again, that book is New Superman number two. Let me scroll forward and get to the credits. And again, I do apologize if I mangle some of the names in this. It's not intentional. It's just lack of familiarization. But it is written by Gene Lewin Young. Uh, it is penciled by Victor Bogdanovich. It's inked by Richard Friend. Colors are by Hi-Fi. And Dave Sharp does the letters. The covers are by Bogdanovich and Kelsey Shannon, with the variant cover by Bernard Chang. And the main cover is of our Superman of China floating in the air with a blue energy burst behind him and some energy crackling out of the S symbol on his uniform, while the Batman of China. Um, looks like he's pointing the remote control at him and has a battering ready to hurl with the Wonder Woman of China having lassoed uh, our new Superman's left arm. And it is pretty good. Uh, the variant cover is of the Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman of China uh, going over the rooftops of a Chinese neighborhood with Superman and Wonder Woman flying and Batman running across the rooftops um, as people look up in mostly confusion, which I think is funny. A lot of them just look irritated. Um, and our new Superman has his mouth full of food, which is pretty funny. So they're both pretty good covers. Now, before we get started, let's do a quick recap, because I know it's been a few episodes since we visited this title. Um, so Kong Keenan is a kind of a jerk. He is a teenager. His mom died in an airplane crash and he blames the CEO of the airline company. And so he constantly bullies the son of the CEO who was in his class. Um, and also Kenan's dad is kind of a a conspiracy theorist uh, guerrilla reporter. Uh, I don't think that's the right term for it, like G-U-E guerrilla. Um, 
but they, they run like he and his friends, like an underground news, uh, site. And, um, but Kenan isn't all bad because when the CEO's son is attacked by an apparent supervillain named Blue Condor, Kenan sticks up for the kid. He throws a Coke bottle at him or a soda bottle. Sorry, you can tell I lived in Georgia for like 30 years because I still refer to all, all soda as Coke. <laughs> um, and, uh, but the blue condor flies away and something about this act can, uh, convinces the mysterious Dr. Omen that Kenan is the perfect candidate for her superhuman program. She takes Kenan to her secret lab, infuses him with the, the power that was cast off by the new 52 Superman. And rewinding even a bit further for that, uh, there was an incident during the new 52 where, where that Superman uh, pretty much expelled almost all of his power in a giant energy flare. And Dr. Omen has managed to capture some of it. She has experimented with it in the past. She's managed to infuse at least one other person with it. And that may um, also have led to the creation of the, the supervillain that new super new 52 Superman died fighting. But anyway, um, Kenan does get infused with Superman like powers. Um, those powers start to go out of control. Um, Kenan pretty much acts like he can do whatever he wants. At which point Dr. Omen brings in the Batman and wonder woman of China and the, the Chinese Batman, he has a, it's very, it, it's a very, it looks more like a Batman costume than Kenan's looks like Superman and that this Wonder Woman's looks like Wonder Woman. It's, it's various shades of blue. It has a big yellow bat symbol on the chest. It has the typical uh, black cowl and cape with black boots and black gloves. It is reminiscent of something that you might have seen during the, um, oh, what was the Batman series that that um that grant morrison was doing after his batman and robin like batman international or something like that um whatever it was where he was showing the batman of different countries and uh kenan constantly refers to him as like being tubby or overweight he doesn't look overweight to me he he is stout he looks like someone who works out a lot but doesn't work out in such a way as to try to burn fat so it looks like he has a lot of muscle but just maybe he has a layer of, of body fat over it. And the Wonder Woman of China, she wears an all green uniform. Um, it is a long sleeve top in a skirt with green, with green boots. She has a green headband and two long uh, ponytails that extend from the headband. Uh, very kind of Chun-Li-esque uniform, only in green like from Street Fighter, and she has a shield, and she has a Chinese guandao, which is like a, a polearm weapon. Um, it kind of looks like a Japanese naganata, um, but yeah, long stick with a blade on the end, or is the, is the short version. So they rush in, and um, he's like, well, what are you going to do to me? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Superman. You, you two can't stop me. So the Chinese Batman... He, he does this neat thing where he kind of makes a fist and these things on the back of his knuckles pop open and these little bombs that have battlings fly out and they hit Kenan and they explode and they hurt him 
uh, well, not injure him, but they knock him back. And he says that it hurts. He says, uh, and Kenan says, okay, you're going to get it now. And he starts to fly towards the Chinese Batman and he falls and lands on his face. And all of a sudden his flight powers don't work anymore. And let's see, the, the Chinese Batman and Chinese Wonder Woman, they refer to each other by their first names. Let me see if it says it here on these first couple of pages. Um, so Chinese Batman, his first name is, is Bai Shi. I believe it's pronounced B-A-I-X-I. And um, Chinese, Chinese Wonder Woman, her face name is Dailan, D-E-I-L-A-N. And again, if I'm pronouncing any of those wrong, you know, just chalk it up to not a whole lot of familiarization. But Kenan has some of his super strength still. He throws a big piece of machinery at at Wonder Woman. And it's again, with Batman, it's Batten hyphen man. And with her, it's Wonder hyphen woman. But just for simplicity's sake, while I'm in this series, or at least for the rest of this episode, unless they inter- interact with the Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman that we know, I'm just going to call them Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Um, so she she slices the bit of machinery in half with her weapon. He goes to punch her. She hits his, he hits her shield. Uh, apparently doesn't doesn't do much good. His fist just bounces off of it harmlessly, and she wraps him up in her lasso, which is a glowing pink strand that she says is an extension of her own skin. And she can control it uh, prehensily. So, you know, she can kind of hurl it at someone. It can go past them and then she can make it wrap around them, which is pretty awesome. And with him wrapped up, Batman zaps him in the head with something like a stun gun, which knocks him out. He wakes up a short time later. Um, He's been stripped down to his underwear. He's in. And they are, let's see, let's... They are, they are inside the Oriental Pearl Tower, which is where Dr. Omen does his business. And they are part of the Ministry of Self-Reliance. Okay. And so, uh, like I said, he wakes up in the, in the Oriental Pearl Tower, in the Ministry of Reliance. He calls his dad to let him know that he's fine, that nothing's wrong. And his dad's like, what are you talking about? And his dad's like, and Ken's like, I didn't come home last night. Did you notice? And the dad's like, oh, I've been really busy with my writer's group, son. I got to go. Um, but then Dr. Omen snatches the phone out of his hand. And then Dr. Omen does a thing where she clicks a button on her watch. And Kenan's voice comes out of it and says, oh, sorry, dad. I'm, I'm not going to be home for a while. I've got so much homework to do. And I'm going to go stay at a friend's house to study. And Kenan is very confused. And she says you know, as long as you have these powers and until they begin working, not erratically until you have control over them, you have to stay here. You are now a part of the Justice League of China. And he says, wait a minute, doesn't the, uh, doesn't China kind of have its own group of superheroes, its own version of the Justice League, the, um, the Great Ten? And if you're not familiar with the Great Ten, they are a superhero group that was introduced during the series 52 during the mid 2000s. They're pretty neat. We met them a little bit during the death of New 52 Superman. If you want to go back and re-listen to that episode, if you, or if you haven't listened to it yet, you should definitely go do that now. And 
Uh, she says, well, you can't leave, you know, you're, you're basically government property. He's like, well, you can't stop me. I'm Superman. He goes to punch the door and he hurts his hand and his powers are gone. So Dr. Omen says, well, we're going to give you, you know, run of the facility, but you have to wear these goggles. And she attaches them to his head and they kind of lock into place and it lets her keep track of his vitals and it lets her um, see what's going on from his viewpoint and it also pulls up holographic images that she's going to use to make him study and he's like study superman doesn't do homework and she taps a button on her smartwatch and it zaps him and he says it has a compliance device built into it do it you know cooperate and you'll be fine refuse to cooperate and uh you will be forced to comply enjoy your studies which is, you know, kind of cruel and also kind of funny at the same time. And um, from there, we jump to where Kenan's dad is meeting with his friends as part of their writing group. And they are working on an article that they are about to publish about the Ministry of Self-Reliance. And basically, um, the Ministry of Self-Reliance is not public knowledge. They have figured out that it exists but they are trying to prove that it's not just a conspiracy theory. From there, we go back to the Oriental Pearl Tower, where Dr. Omen has just got notification that a woman named Wei Lu, who uh, has founded a data company, it's the largest, largest data consultant agency in the nation, they just got notification that her home has been invaded by an apparent high-tech supervillain name Sunbeam. And we'll go into more about Sunbeam later, but I want to pause for a minute to talk about um, the naming conventions that DC uses for its superheroes in China. Because they, they have a very different, almost say syntax, than what are used for superheroes that are, that take, that are based in the United States. And because you know, DC is obviously a company based in the United States. Um, you know, normally with U.S.-based superheroes, you have kind of a, a number of syllables that's associated with it. Usually two, three, or four. You know, Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, Wonder Woman, with uh, very few differences. Probably the most notable one being Captain America. And I think that one's just so widely accepted that we don't really think about it. But with Chinese superheroes, especially in the Great Ten... You have much more elaborate names. You have a mortal, um, August General in Iron, Immortal Man in Darkness, Mother of Heroes, stuff like that. Things that, if you applied them to a superhero that was based in the United States, would feel clunky. But because of societal differences, it sounds a lot cooler in a Chinese superhero. And also with with uh, heroes and villains that have names that are based in English. You also have the factor of how certain words have metaphorical associations. Like, for example, when you think of sunbeam in English, that associates with like happiness and joy and lightheartedness. And when you think about it, a beam of light directly from the sun can be devastating, right? It, it could be have an intense destructive consequences. So when you take away the metaphorical applications of a specific word or group of words, it takes on a totally different connotation, which I think is neat. And we'll get into more of that when we 
talk more about Sunbeam here in just a little bit. And I also have a theory about both Sunbeam and Blue Condor, but I don't want to really put my cards on that right now. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. But uh, Dr. Omen is going to send Wonder Woman and Batman to investigate. And Kenan says, well, I'm going too because I'm Superman. And she says, well, you don't even have your powers right now. And Kenan blames Chinese Batman for this. He thinks that Batman took away his powers and Batman just kind of smiles and goes, wow, I have the ability to take away superpowers. I'm more awesome than I thought. And Kenan goes to punch him, but Dr. Omen activates the compliance measures on his visor, which kind of sort of tasers him. But uh, so she orders him to stay behind, but he says, wait a minute. I know, you know, Dr. Omen mentioned the community where, uh, where Wei Li lives. He says, I know that community. It has a backdoor entrance and I know the security code so we can get in and out without raising a huge stink. And she says, how do you know? And his internal, uh, internal dialogue box says that, uh, that uh, Luo Lishin, and that's the kid that he's been bullying, his family lives in that neighborhood. And at one point, Kenan had bullied this kid into giving him the security code so he could sneak in and steal some other kid's bicycle. But he says, you know, don't worry about it. I just know. So I'm vital to the mission. So she gives him permission to go. And they go <laughs> in the BUV, the Bat Utility Vehicle, which I think is really funny. It kind of looks like the Bat Tank from the, uh, from the Nolan movies, only a little rounder and sleeker, and it's pretty neat. But uh, they go in, and Kenan gives them the code to sneak in, and he says, I'm, I'm part of this mission too. I'm going to go in with you guys. And Batman says, no, you're not. And when Kenan insists... Batman pushes the button on the interior of the BUV and it shocks Kenan again. And so Batman also has the power to initiate the compliance measures, which is, which is really funny. And uh, Wonder Woman is giving him just a constant hard time because he is, I don't want to use the D word, <laughs> but he is, uh, he's definitely, a, he's a different uh, D word. He's kind of a dude, bro. <laughs> And uh, she is uh, just not having none of his shenanigans. So Batman orders him to stay in the Bat Utility Vehicle as they go into uh, Wei Li's very, very large house. But uh, they go in there and Ken is watching from the car and there's a huge explosion. And Wonder Woman flies out with Wei Li's kid. And she deposits the kid inside the BUV and tells, <laughs> tells Kenan to keep an eye on her. And we really get an idea of how young Kenan is here because when he's all souped up, he looks a little different. He, his jaw's a little stronger. He looks more muscular here. He's a little thinner. He has a more rounded, uh, a weaker jaw, a rounder face. And, uh, it's, it's very apparent that he looks different when his powers are on and when his powers are off. And, uh, you know, this kid's crying. She's holding, you know, she's maybe four or five. She's holding her stuffed animal. And, you know, Wonder Woman tells her to watch after the kid. <laughs> and and kind of just reaches over and pats her on the head and goes, there, there. And the kid cries even harder. But then we see Sunbeam bust out of the wall of the house holding Wei Lee. By uh, with one hand by the back of Wei Li's 
uh, blouse and Sunbeam has a very, it's almost all yellow and it has these silver gray high-tech boots and part of her mask is a helmet that is silvery gray and then she has these silver gray shoulder pads and her entire right arm is covered in a gauntlet that is a energy cannon and she looks really cool and she really looks like she means business so you know like i said when you take away the metaphorical connotations of what a word can represent in english it really adds a whole new level because it's more like a beam of sunlight being filtered through a magnifying glass right and the harnessed power of the sun so it's pretty awesome and she, um, so she flies out, she lands, and she's holding Whaley hostage. She's got her gauntlet cannon pressed to Whaley's head. And Kenan is in the BUV with the kid. And this kid's crying her eyes out. And Kenan looks at her, and the expression on the kid's face is the same look and feel that Kenan had when he was first informed that his mother died in a plane crash. And he says, you know what? I'm going to help. And he asked the little girl, what's her name? And she says, Jenny. And when they write, when they type out her name or when they write her name in the dialogue box, it's blue with the rest of the dialogue being black. So I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know if that means just here, pay attention. This is important. Or if this is going, um, this, you know, Jenny is the Americanized equivalent of what her name is in Chinese. I don't know the significance of that. Maybe that's explored later. I don't know, because I'm taking a journey in this series as I talk about it with you guys. But uh, Kenan gets out of the car. The, um, the compliance thing starts to activate in his goggles. But he barrels into, he, he musters through the pain. He barrels into Sunbeam. He knocks her down. Whaley runs. She takes shelter with Batman and Wonder Woman. Cannon's on the ground and Sunbeam um, activates her energy cannon and she shoots Cannon in the head. But all it does is tickle a little bit. And so his powers are apparently back. And he uses his super, super strength to smash her gauntlet, uh, which knocks her down and probably broke her arm in the process. And Wonder Woman last, uh, wraps her up in her lasso in the process so my theory at this point now if you um if you subscribe to my patreon in the in the first episode that i posted recently i talked a little bit about the uh character gladiator from marvel's imperial guard and how that character was intended to be a stand-in for superman or a marvel analog for superman and how that character's powers are somewhat psionic in nature to where they work based on his uh, self-confidence. The more he believes in, in himself, the stronger and more invulnerable he is. The more he doubts himself, the weaker he is. And I'm wondering if there's kind of a, a, a psionic element to Kenan's powers that when he acts heroically, his powers kick in. And when he acts selfishly, they cut out because in the first issue of this series, when he acts heroically, 
and throws like a soda can at Blue Condor to distract him so the other kid could get away, that's when Dr. Omen identified him as being the perfect candidate. So I wonder if Dr. Omen knows that there's something about how your intentions influence these powers. So that, that'll be interesting to find out. I am, I am putting my cards on that theory and we'll see how that plays out. But the media shows up and uh, Lainey Lan uh, also rolls up, uh, who Kenan has quite a crush on. But he says, hey, don't you recognize me? And she said, should I recognize you? She was the reporter who interviewed him after he threw the soda can at Blue Condor. And she's got her camera guy with her, and he's got the camera trained on Kenan with a live feed, which is being broadcast to kind of like the equivalent of the Times Square great big TV screen somewhere in China. Um, and he goes, it's me, Kong Kenan, the new Superman. And he pulls the goggles off and he exposes his, his secret identity and possibly the entire Justice League of China program to the entire world. And after all this time that Wonder Woman had finally started to think of him as being a pretty good guy, the last panels are of Batman doing a face palm and Wonder Woman looking off with a side a saying, that dummy, next issue going public. So again, this is a really fun series. Um, like I said last time I covered it, I did not read this series because when I started really getting into my Superman fandom, I just wanted to read about Clark and about this version of Clark that we're talking about here on the show and also the pre-Flashpoint pre -flashpoint version of Clark, which we'll find out are not exactly the same thing eventually. Spoiler. So I, I did take a pass on this one. Um, I am sorry I did because this is a really good series. It's a lot of fun. Um, I know that Bogdanovich has some um, issues that I'm not super familiar with. I know that uh, Jason and Georgie and Dan talked about them a while back over on the podcast that goes snicked. He has been the artist on uh, the current Wolverine series for a while, or at least he was. I know the Bogdanovich made some uh, comments on Twitter that were uh, not the coolest things that you could make. I don't remember if they were kind of racist or if they were kind of sexist or kind of homophobic or what. So, you know, I'm not going to dig into that too much because I don't remember what it is, but I know there is some negative aspects to his uh, personal thoughts and beliefs that I personally don't agree with. But I have to admit, his art on here is really good. He is really good with facial expressions. He has like a, a Kevin McGuire level of of talent for facial expressions, where you really know exactly what a character's thinking without any kind of dialogue or internal monologue box. Excellent work on this. The story is really fun. Um, Kenan is, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Peacemaker in the HBO series where he is um, the other uh, D word where the next sound is ooh. <laughs> <laughs> ends with bag, um, but is also kind of likable. So um, I'm really interested to see how this series progresses, how Kenan progresses as a person as he learns his powers. I'm interested to see if my theory about the nature of his powers plays out. And I also think the Wonder Woman and Batman of China are a ton of fun 
And I think Dr. Omen makes a, I am assuming that she is probably going to end up being kind of a villain in this series, or at least kind of like how the chief was in Doom Patrol. Like, yeah, they're the person that calls the shots, but they're also kind of a, a, a subplot level antagonist. So we'll have to see how that goes. But I am going to take a short break and we'll be right back to talk about Superman number five. All right. Superman number five from August 17th of 2016 was co-written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. It's penciled by Doug Mankey, which we have not who we have not seen since the Superman rebirth one shot. Uh, Jaime Mendoza is the inker, Will Quintana is the colorist, and Rob Lee is the letterer. The main cover is by Gleason, Mick Gray, and John Calise, and the variant cover is by Kenneth Rocafort. Let's take a look at those covers. I love the main cover of this. This is hands down going to be the cover image for this episode. It is of Clark with his arms strapped into some kind of big machinery. Um, if you're a fan of 90s comics, like I am, if you're of that generation, uh, you'll probably remember that there were these big shackle-like things that people's arms would usually get put into when their powers are being restrained. I think, uh, I think that, uh, like Jane Miles explained the X-Men, referred to them as like energy dampening turbine gloves or something like that. But his arms are fitted into these things. And the... Eradicator is standing behind him. The Eradicator is like his body, which is all kind of black and metallic gray, is glowing with red and orange and yellow energy light with his mouth open and his mouth is going blue. He has his fingertips pressed not only against the side of Clark's head, but maybe pressing into them, kind of you know, uh, vision, the Avenger style phasing into the side of his head and then that yellow energy is pouring out of Clark's eyes but then looming behind the eradicator is a suit of armor that looks like a cross between Batman Beyond and Medieval Spawn and then behind that is a black and white speckled field that could be just a sky of of stars without any light pollution or could easily be like a giant monitor filled with static and it is just amazing and awesome and I love it so much. Yeah, I I love this art team. Yeah. <laughs> I love Gleason's art. I love Mankey's art. Uh Cantana's inks and and Mendoza's colors and just everything. Just it's so so good. I I love this artist, you know, not only the storytelling era of Superman, but I love uh just the art in this era especially on this series. The variant cover by Rocafort is also extremely cool. It's Superman standing on a pile of bones with his fists clenched ready for action uh, while skeletal spectral figures hover around him. It's also an extremely cool cover. So we open and let's do a quick bit of recap. Um, Clark has been training John to use his burgeoning powers. As part of a, a training exercise, he took him on a mission to the to the Arctic, where they were trying to save a, a I guess stranded submarine. During that adventure, they were attacked by a mutated octopus, uh, which is why I love comics. Just 
you get to say the phrase attacked by a mutated octopus. Uh, during the fight, uh, John scraped his knee, a bit of the blood fell onto the ice, and that reawoke the, the reimagined Eradicator, who in this continuity was once one of General Zod's robots, uh, like security, you know, goon squad robots that were programmed to absorb the life essences of undesirable Kryptonians into a kind of uh, interior phantom zone holding cell within their bodies. And when Krypton exploded, that eradicator was off planet, but as it was coming back to the planet, it was caught in the explosion and the energies fused its body into a more humanoid, humanoid form. It followed Kal-El's rocket to Earth, um, where then for some reason it took the form of like an energy sphere and hit itself in the ice in the presence of uh, John's Kryptonian genome in the blood reawakened it. It's been trying, excuse me, it's been trying to absorb John's Kryptonian half of his DNA into itself and to uh, then eradicate, destroy John's human half and is more than happy to kill uh, Lois in the process. And uh, Clark knows that the Eradicator can follow them wherever they go and that the battle has been intensely destructive. So he put John and Lois inside a mini sub and has flown them to the moon where they are going to take shelter on Batman's hidden moon headquarters. <laughs> which is amazing and they fly down into it and it's protected by a bunch of bat-like robot security drones which is both silly and awesome and hilarious all at the same time i'm not a huge batman fan but when i like batman in two contexts well maybe three i like him as kind of international adventurer when it's kind of these over-the-top things. I like him as a detective, and I like him when he's way over his head and has to use, like, just out insane technology to hold his own in a fight. It's, you know, I like Morrison's JLA Batman. Um, I like Justice League slash Justice League Unlimited Batman, the animated series is and this is pretty awesome. I mean, Batman does not make an appearance in this, but the shadow of the bat is all over this with this insane and amazing underground layer in the moon. But, uh, you know, Lois is, is uh, Lois and John are both going, maybe we should call in the rest of the Justice League in this. And he's and Clark is saying no. Two reasons. Uh, one, the rest of the league suspects that John has powers, but they don't know for sure. And he wants to keep John from kind of going into the world of superheroics yet. He knows it's going to be an eventuality, but he wants to kind of keep him his little boy as much as possible and really train him up on his own. And he also says that this is a Kryptonian matter, which means it's a family matter and they need to handle it themselves. Um, Lois is disagreeing with Clark in saying, you know, one, we should get as much help as possible. And two, you know, we can't hide him from this world. You know, you know, you, you're really going to have to step up his training. You're going to have to be his Obi-Wan 
and that's when the eradicator floats down from the ceiling and says, I have no idea who this Obi-Wan is, but the only thing that matters is your son, John, needs to be eradicated. And so the eradicator has, in fact, followed them to the moon. He attacks, um, Ro excuse me, Lois and John run and try to hide as Superman holds him at bay. Um, the eradicator smashes through a wall and says, Cal L debases his inner soul. The longer he remains in both your presence, his love for you will kill him. But then Superman smashes through the wall, grabs the eradicator, slams his head into the ground and says, my love for them is more powerful than you, which I love. I love that a lot. So they continue to fight. But then as Clark grabs the eradicator, the eradicator um, eradicates him. He sucks his, sucks Clark's body and life essence into his personal phantom zone holding cell within himself. Um, and then the eradicator turns to John and says, you know, you are next. You know, the, the only, only the Kryptonian part of you and the, the human part of you will be nothing but meat left behind. And as John's crying, one, there's a tear streaming, stream, the streaming down one eye while the other eye glows with heat vision energy and he says open your mouth wide or i'll open it for you and a blast of heat vision comes out and kind of melts the eradicator's head uh, but then very um like terminator 2 t1000-esque it liquid metal reforms itself back into its normal shape the eradicator knocks lois aside almost knocks her unconscious, and John runs deeper into the complex and, uh, to try to hide. And the Eradicator is not really taunting him. I think in the Eradicator's mind, he is appealing to John logically. And he says, your birth was not of your own choosing, but you could allow your own death to be. You would have our respect. Step out of the shadows so that your better half may live. And I think there's also kind of the implication there that if I have to fight you for this, I'm going to kill your mom. If you go along with me, I'll let Lois live. Now, it's not implicit, explicitly stated, but I think it is implied. And as John continues to run away from the Eradicator, Lois is looking through Batman's cache of weapons and equipment to find anything that fights to fight back with. She finds some razor-like batarangs and a grappling hook gun, but then she opens a crate and sees a black and red helmet and a pair of black gauntlets. So John is continuing to run. The Eradicator says, we applaud your spirit, but the time has come for your human side to be wiped away so that your Kryptonian side may flourish and grow. Um, let's see. Uh, he kind of grabs John by the shoulders and the neck and holds him up. He holds John level with his own face. The Eradicator's visor is glowing with you know bright yellow energy, and there's cracks in the Eradicator's skin, and like the energy is growing through. It's like it's like there's a miniature sun inside Eradicator's body that its metallic shell is just barely holding back. And um, John's saying, "My mom and dad will." And the Eradicator says, you will soon join your father and fellow Kryptonians. Your mother is meat and bone, inferior and nothing more. And then Lois, wearing this massive Batman armor, 
grabs the eradicator by the arm and smashes him into the ground and says, get your hands off my son. The only thing in fear around here is you, which is a direct parallel to Clark smashing the eradicator into the ground, protecting John as well. And I love this so much. Um, you know, I've talked about before, or have a lot of anger growing up and I channeled that anger into learning how to fight and between things that I learned on my own and lessons that I took and then classes that I took as part of my old profession. Um, I can, I can, I can fight pretty well <laughs> and I am, have really learned how to kind of redirect my emotions and I'm a much calmer person now. I'm a much happier person now. And I consider myself a pacifist, but if it comes to my family, um, I, uh, I, I would easily say that anyone that messes my family would be, would, would be in for a very, very bad day. And so I, I love this, these two parallel scenes of Lois and Clark was just smashing the eradicator to protect John. It's so great. And so we find out that the armor is called the Hellbat, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and Lois is saying, uh, there are some things about Earth you need to learn. Never mess with the baby bear when the mama bear is nearby. And um, however, as powerful as this armor is, the Eradicator is even more powerful because not only is he empowered by the souls of, they never really call them souls. They just say, uh, we are now not only empowered by the dead of Krypton, but the living life force of Superman. So I guess it's supposed to just, I, you know, I don't think there's really supposed to be a metaphysical, um, um, side to it, but it's literally their life energy inside him. And with Superman being empowered by the, our solar system's yellow sun, and with Superman now being inside, all of Superman's energy being inside the Eradicator, he is hyper-juiced up. And he is smashing the Hellbat armor. He's setting it on fire with beams that come out of his hand. Lois is fighting back. Um, John climbs up on her shoulders and is acting like a, like a cannon. So he's blasting the Eradicator uh, with his heat vision as Lois punches him. Now, as all this is going on, we see these little cutscenes from inside the Eradicator and all these spectral, skeletal spirits surrounding Clark. And we don't get any dialogue from them. We get, but it's definitely a two-way conversation, but we only get Clark's side of it. And he's saying, thank you for trusting me, but I need your help one last time. And there's a really big panel, and he's standing there very calmly, but his... His posture um, is definitely that of a leader. He's he is inspiring these these let's just call them spirits because life force emanations is a little too clunky. But they're all standing around him, and he's saying, "Your spiritual energy feeds the Eradicator, strengthens him. Without it, he's simply not as strong." Yes, I understand. So you know, between his own word bubbles, you get. You know, that they are, are answering him as he speaks. So he says, yes, I understand. We have one chance to end this and free you once and for all. And then there's a pause. 
and he says, of course, I realize that and I'm willing to accept the risk. My heart and my mind are open. And I like that as well, because that goes in to my ending, you know, catchphrase, whatever it is that I took from Action Comics number 1000. It's really good. So good. And so outside of the Eradicator, he has, uh, the Eradicator has really damaged the Hellbat armor. The visor is open. We can see Lois's face. He throws her to the ground. She's you know, not able to get back up. He's holding John up by the neck while his other hand is, I don't know if he's supposed to be blasting him with energy, but easily surrounding him with energy to keep him docile. And then inside the Eradicator, we see all these uh, spirits have turned themselves into little tendrils of silver and blue energy, and they're flowing into Clark's mouth, and his eyes are glowing with their energy. And so outside, we have the Eradicator has his left hand around John's shirt, like he's holding it by a shirt. In his right hand, the fingers are spread wide, and they're pressed against John's face and his head, and it's like they're and it's glowing red, orange, yellow, and it's pushing slightly inside the skin again kind of like the cover which phasing into his skin and the eradicator is saying to heal you we must kill you then he goes hurt i cannot feel them Yuck! we are all being absorbed into and then he goes super as clark bursts out of the eradicator's mouth and the mouth is pushed open massively wide, wide enough to fit all of Clark's body. As Clark comes out, just filled with this fiery energy and fury, and he's glowing with all this power. And uh, as we see the Eradicator lying on the ground, kind of smoking, uh, and Clark says, thanks, thanks to you and Mom for holding down the fort, kiddo. I'll take it from here. And we see Clark barreling, toward the eradicator on a final splash page with like energy arcing across his chest and uh kind of yellow fiery energy crackling out of his wrists and then fiery energy crackling out of his eyes and it is so good and so cool and man i love this issue so much i know it's mostly just a fight issue but there's so much emotion in it and so much intensity and so much feeling. And, you know, I don't know if I would have felt this much love for this issue if I wasn't a parent. And I think that I, I talked at the very beginning, uh, not this issue, but um, this, excuse me, not this episode, but last episode, I talked about that kind of light bulb moment, you know, and. And when I was out, like, walking my dog and reading Superman comics, and it was this series, and I think it was not that the episode, it's not that the issue itself was so good, but it was, like, Clark and John off having an adventure together. But I think it was the feeling of that issue which encompasses the feeling of this entire series. And don't get me wrong, I love everything that Dan Jurgens does. You know, I... I kneel at the altar of Dan Jurgens. You know, I love Booster Gold. I love his 90s Superman. Um, I, I love, uh, there's a series that he did. There's a miniseries that he did in the late 2000s called Time Masters. I love that. I really like Zero Hour. 
and it's probably not a very well received DC event, but I really like it because I like this the heart that he puts into his stuff. And I really like the action comic series that we are covering here on the show. But man, I love this series so much. And um, like the, the Tomasi Gleason team is so good. And as much as I like Gleason's artwork, I like Mankey's even better. And I've said before that when I first started reading stuff that Mankey did in the early 2000s with JLA, it was, I think it was written by Joe Kelly. And it might have been Kelly's influence I don't like, because I, I honestly don't like a lot of the Superman books that came out in the early 2000s. And I know that um, Joe Kelly and Jeff Loeb were kind of steering the direction of the four series. Um, but, you know, I liked the work that Mankey was doing uh, now, having gone back and, and read them recently. I liked the work that Mankey did on Man of Steel at that time. And I really like Mankey's artwork here and everything in this issue just hits so hard and so accurately and so well. If you have not read this issue, I strongly recommend you go back and do it. You don't even need to have read the other stuff. You can get everything from this. You know, John's got powers, the Eradicator's after him. The Eradicator just wants John's Kryptonian half and the other half is gonna die if the Eradicator gets a hold of him for good. That's all you really need to know. But the, the protectiveness that Lois and uh, Clark have for John and the protectiveness that Clark has for both Lois and John is so well done in this that uh, I, don't know, I, I am going to cherish this run of this series so much and probably forever. I don't know if it's my favorite Superman run of all time, but man, it's got to be at least neck and neck top three, right? So um, that's all I've got for this issue. Um, I want to say there was something else I wanted to comment on, but I don't think so. I think I covered everything. There's usually something that puts me off on a tangent that I want to expound upon, but I, th I think I'm good with this one. So I'm going to take another quick break and we'll be right back to wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 15 of the Truth, Justice, and Hope podcast. I invite you to follow me on Twitter. I'm on there at About Superman, where I tweet about Superman comics a lot. And I've also been tweeting a lot about 90s uh, reboot era Legion of Superheroes. And also doing a bit above of the uh, Power of Shazam series that came out uh, at the same time. Uh, if I haven't mentioned it, I enjoy 90s DC comics quite a bit. <laughs> um, let's see, what else? Um, you, oh, yeah, if you also want to reach out to me directly, if social media is not your thing, uh, my direct email is truthjusticeandhope at gmail.com. Um, before I want to go, I want to plug an upcoming show of a friend of mine. I used to be on a show back in... 
I think it was 2018 uh, with my friend Herman Lowe, who also runs the Long Box of Darkness podcast. And it was a show called Into the Weird, where we talked about early 70s Bronze Age Marvel comics. And it was stuff that was on the more supernatural or just weird end of things. We talked about Doctor Strange and we talked about Morbius and we talked about Man-Thing. And eventually I had to leave that show after about six episodes just because of scheduling. And um, Herman has been kind of expanding. Um, He's almost started almost a a podcasting network. And he has done a spinoff of it called Into the Fantastic. And he's going to be doing that show with a prolific podcaster, Ryan Daly. Um, If you're not familiar with his work, it is over at the uh, Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does um, Give Me Those Star Wars. He does uh, Midnight the Podcasting Hour. Uh, He does a Batman podcast. And I'm sorry, Brian, if I don't remember the name of the Batman show. I'm terribly sorry. I I knew I could Google it very quickly, but I'm on a bit of a time crunch. But uh, Ryan is also an excellent podcaster. Um, They are going to be launching their show uh, sometime later this month, if not then early March, I believe. So you should be on the lookout for that and go check that out. Um, Also, if you have not already, um, I would also invite you to subscribe to my Patreon page. Over there, I'm going to be putting out exclusive content for patrons. I released the uh, first uh, patron bonus episode about two weeks ago, where I talked about the um, Pocket Universe Superboy story that crossed over between the two Superman books at the time, and also the Legion of Superheroes book from the late 1980s. I'm going to be continuing um, that series of episodes. I'm going to be talking about the Pocket Universe Supergirl story coming up very soon. I'm actually going to start working on that episode tomorrow. So it should be ready either slightly before or around the same time as the next episode of this show comes out. Um, And I also want to say that I know that this time of year is something of a financial crunch for folks. You know, Christmas is over. People are paying off their credit card bills and everything. So, you know, if you've signed up for the show and it's not in your budget right now, I totally understand if you have to drop. That's no hard feelings. Um, But, you know, if you want if you guys want to to check it out, I would absolutely love it if you do so. It basically just puts a little extra spending money in my pocket so that if I choose to go buy some Justice League figures or pick up a trade off of eBay or something, I'm not cutting into my family budget. So I would love it if you guys were to do that. And I will be putting out an episode at least once a month of that show. Um, Next episode, what are we going to talk about? So let me me get back to my list here. And let's see what's coming up next. So next, we are going to have a rare episode where we do not have any books that are specific to Clark. We are going to have Supergirl Rebirth number one, and we're going to have Justice League number three. And I'm also adding the caveat that if Clark is barely in this issue of Justice League like he was in the two uh, in the last two that I covered, 
then I will do two episodes of Justice League um, so I can fill the time better. But I am, uh, I am looking forward to that. I have read some of this run of Supergirl, and it is pretty fun. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. And I will be back in two weeks with that episode. But in the meantime, please stay safe. Please stay healthy. And remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.